This episode is brought to you by Interactive Brokers. Did you know that Interactive Brokers clients earn up to 4.83% on their uninvested, instantly available cash balances? In fact, you have to ask yourself, how much is your broker able to pay you? Compare IBKR's ability to pay you interest of up to 4.83% to other brokers that you have who only can pay you less than maybe half a percent. That's just one of the many reasons clients use interactive brokers to trade stocks and options, futures, currencies, bonds, funds, and more. When placing your money with a broker, you need to make sure your broker is secure and can endure good and bad times. IBKR's strong capital position, conservative balance sheet, and automated risk controls are designed to protect IBKR and its clients from large trading losses. Their prudent and conservative risk management uniquely positions IBKR to pay you higher interest and with demonstrated security and financial strength. Rates, of course, are subject to change. Interactive Brokers is a member of SIPC. Visit IBKR.com slash interest rates to learn more. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Those squirrely market conditions continue, and it's just getting started. Deadline October 1st, another political drama is brewing. And we're going to do an inside look at bad investing with annuities. All this and much more on episode number 831 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Horowitz, and today we're going to delve into a couple different topics. And these topics have been, I think, generating quite a bit of buzz, and some of this has crossed my desk recently, and I, I just scratched my head. I'm like, what is going on? And then the other topic we're going to talk about, particularly re related to government shutdowns, is, is really something we, we, we need to be aware of. We're starting to find out and hear a lot about, once again, this government shutdown. October 1st is the day of the final, oh, the dance that can be done in order to get this accomplished so that we don't have another shutdown. But we're going to talk about, um, first and foremost, something that I think is really important because a lot of people, I think, get this wrong and, and there's been a... a, a I think a misunderstanding and, and unfortunately a sales job done when it comes to annuities, particularly when we talk about variable annuities. Now, for those of you that are, you know, not interested in variable annuities, or maybe you don't have them, just, you know, you can skip ahead a little bit, but I would encourage you to listen on because there is a day that will come that somebody's going to approach you and try to do a pretty good sales job on you of why you should have a variable annuity. And particularly we're going to be focusing on one particular topic, with regard to the variable annuity, because there are some places that are beneficial when it comes to annuities. There are annuities I do like. 
inside of and outside of retirement plans. And there's some that I really think like, wait, 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 wait. That is just not the right thing to do. What we're going to focus on today specifically is that topic of, well, that's just not the right thing to do. Again, I'm going to make sure we we say this right on the front here. I have no problem with annuities that are done correctly, that are for uh, goal-oriented individuals that understand all the different parameters, but some things that you need to know about, I think specifically when you're being sold these annuities, that maybe will make it a little bit less desirable, specifically if you're investing in an IRA. That's really what I'm focusing on. So, again, it's not, this isn't, it's not, it's not a, a blanket judgment on variable annuities. Again, again, so so it's it's this really this this focus matter that I'm that I'm getting at. And let's start by talking about the laundry list of items that I'm concerned with. Some of them are are basic just to variable annuities, not fixed. I'm not talking about fixed here. I'm talking about variable annuities. And you know the difference between a variable annuity and a fixed annuity, because usually fixed annuities have either a a fixed rate, let's call it. Uh, that's tied to maybe some interest rate or maybe even to some stock market index that could reach a certain level. A variable annuity is much different where the valuation of the underlying investments will move up and down with, let's say, a market index, whether it's uh, the S&P 500, whether it's international, whether it is maybe a bond index or cash. But the point here is that, 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 and I'm going to say it once again, there, there are good reasons to have annuities, variable and fixed, but there's some very bad ones. So now, first, first and foremost, fees and expenses. Now, variable annuities, they come with a host of, it's a laundry list of fees and expenses. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, an all-you-could-eat buffet of charges. You know, you have things like the mortality expenses, expense charges, administration fees, there's um, underlying investment in, uh, fees for the various clone funds that they have or the mutual funds they have. There's even these you know optional fees. I don't know why you'd buy an optional fee, but different things like guarantee of return of principal rider, things like that. All these things could erode your return and, and really hinder your growth of your investments moving forward. And again, I'm talking about IRAs. I don't like these for IRAs because you don't need a lot of those things. Those excess fees, you don't need because of the second part of this discussion, which is when you're talking about IRAs and whether they're traditional IRAs, whether they're Roth IRAs, whether they are, um, I don't even care, after-tax IRAs, even inherited IRAs, they come with their own built-in tax advantages. The very nature of an IRA allows for you to have Money that grows tax-deferred or maybe tax-deductible when you put it in, depending if it's Roth or an individual. And what happens is that that money grows you know, on, on a tax-deferred basis when you take the money out sometime in the future. When you're talking about a traditional or a rollover or a contributory IRA, you're going to pay taxes at that point sometime in the future. Same thing with the annuity. You don't get any extra added benefit from the annuity if it is an IRA. So an IRA that you invest in an annuity gives you no additional tax wrapper. You are paying an extraordinary amount of fees in order to have the annuity. Why do that if you don't need much of what is underlying the investment? So 
this overlap of tax benefits by putting it into a variable annuity is costing you a heck of a lot of money. So you're also going to have um, some things that maybe don't benefit you inside of this because you're layering these deferral features. The other thing that's a big problem is that you're, you're limiting yourself. So number three is you're limiting yourself in terms of your investment opportunity. And here's what I mean by that. When you have a traditional IRA, your plain vanilla IRA at a brokerage house, those investments are pretty much unlimited. You can invest in mutual funds and ETFs and cash and treasuries and stocks, and the list goes on and on and on. Whereas inside a variable annuity, you're limited to whatever the variable annuity provides for you. The major draw of an IRA inside of uh, a brokerage account is, is flexibility to essentially cherry pick from a wide array of investments. Whereas in the variable annuity, you're constrained into the sub-accounts or the mutual funds that they have, the investment choices that they have. And it's like your, it's like your 401k, right? Most people's 401k, you have a list of 20 different investments. Are those the best that are out there? I don't know, but you know what? I'd rather have a list of 5,000 investment choices that I can have. That's an important feature of this. The, there, there's some other things that you really need to be aware of also when it comes to IRAs versus variable annuities or annuities, right? So an IRA, if you're 60, 59 and a half, 60 years old, you can start withdrawing your money. No problem. Take it out. You know, you pay taxes on it. Okay, fine. You want to take out 10%, 20%, 30%, 50%, 100%, whatever it is, before you're required to. I'm talking about before the RMD. When you're able to take your money out without any um, tax penalty, you just do so. In a variable annuity, there is the potential that you'll have to pay a surrender charge. So imagine this scenario. You need to make an early withdrawal from your annuity, right? But there's a catch all of a sudden. You're 62 years old. You need to take money out because for whatever reason, to make up for or to, 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 um, to enhance your income, right? And all of a sudden now here you are stuck. You're stuck with a situation that you have to pay an 8% surrender charge on top of the fact you'll pay ordinary income taxes. That stinks. Now these fees kick in if you pull out any funds within a specific time frame. It may be 10 years, let's say. After that, the annuity may not have any fees. By that time, the agent comes back and tries to sell you something else, by the way. Now, these charges, these fees, these, these surrender charges might maybe think, maybe, you know, think, oh, maybe I shouldn't take it from there and I should suffer. I need the money, but I'm not going to take it. It makes for very bad decision-making and planning when it comes to the overall um, retirement plan that you have. Then there's a couple of other things that are inside of variable news that make it even more, I think, distracting when you're talking about IRAs. And it's, it's, it's this complexity factor. So because variable annuities can be very uh, complicated, <laughs> like a puzzle of a thousand pieces. They come with all these riders that offer things like death benefits and guaranteed income and all, nursing home benefits and return of premium and uh, guarantee of rate and annuitization options. And these particular 
complexities might create a barrier to truly understanding how the product operates and whether it, it essentially it, it, it meets with your particular goals. That's a problem. And when you're trying to analyze this and put this into your entire financial program for your future, and now you're stuck with not understanding of, oh, well, if I take it out, maybe I'll get some money back, but well, I have to wait till this date. And if the market goes down, the good news, I can still take the money. Or maybe, you know what, I'm not going to take any of the money. I'm just going to leave it as a death benefit at the high water mark. And all these different fancy terms come into play with the, 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 the thick annuity policy of definitions that even most lawyers don't understand. And then you have the next part. Number six, limited control. Here's the thing. An IRA, think about it. It empowers you to tell your investments and your preferences, right? You do whatever you want in there. And you could have a self-directed IRA or, or work with an advisor or create a model or whatever you're going to do to create this. Now, with variable annuities, investment decisions are often dictated by the insurance company, which may not match your particular investment strategy or, or more so may not, may not meld well and go along with the rest of your investment strategy. And all of a sudden, you're stuck. This lack of flexibility is also an issue. Because annuities, by their very nature, are created and designed to provide a steady stream of income in retirement, particularly when we what's called annuitize it and start getting income over your lifetime, a feature that eh, may not be suitable for everybody's needs. So... A variable annuity may not be appropriate if you have a value of flexibility, particularly in accessing your funds or, or for that matter, adjusting your strategy, changing your investments and, and, and radically changing them to go along with maybe some of the other investments that you have. But that's not the worst of it. There's other things, too. I think I think one of the, the biggest issues is 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 the opportunity cost that may be lost. Here's the thing. When you think about a variable annuity and all the costs that go into it, in terms of being inside of an IRA where many of the things that you're paying for are just a waste. So you may not be paying just the let's say one and a half percent if you have a manager and mutual funds and ETFs and a self-directed IRA, you may be paying a three percent fee in totality, because all the additional riders or costs, administration, mortality, all the things that are involved in that, right? The, the pleasure of having an annuity as an investment for tax deferral. And what happens is the potential returns from your variable annuity might not be as good, or at least the net return after these expenses, as other investment options that are available in your IRA high fees and limited investment choices, right? Couldn't dampen overall performance. Now let's also talk about the, 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 the elephant in the room when it comes to variable annuities, the investment choices. Those investment choices are picked by the insurance company because that is who issues a variable annuity. You have investments that are picked by them. You got to wonder how much of a kickback are they getting or... Is it a proprietary fund that they're just shilling inside of the annuity to get the management fees, which is fine. But again, is that the best that you have? 
What if they go on a bad streak? Their management just stinks, and all the equity investments inside of all the different components that you can choose from just don't do well. So we conclude with this. Does a variable annuity in an IRA, right, an IRA that you have, that you buy in a, a variable annuity with, deserve a position in your financial playbook? Again, it's a decision that's pretty complex and hinges on your your particular financial objectives. But I think that you need to really assess your objectives, your risk tolerance, and you understand all the fee structures that are, that are there. Now, if you, in fact, have a variable annuity that is an IRA, that's something you really should start thinking about and talk to someone who understands these well. Because simply, if you're paying 2 3 4% in total, if that is the case, again, I don't know about your annuity, what it looks like and what you have in terms of riders and options, but if you're paying that for the sake of having the annuity inside of the IRA for the tax deferral benefit and you're not getting any extra tax deferral benefit because it's already in an IRA, maybe you should do something about it. Something to think about. Something to ponder. Now, before we get to our next topic, let's take a break. Let's talk about Interactive Brokers one more time because I want to tell you about Interactive Brokers with regard to their margin loan rates, which they charge 5.83% to 6.83%, which is rated the lowest margin fees by stockbrokers.com. Their clients can also earn extra income by lending their fully paid shares of stock. I want you to join Interactive Brokers clients from over, well, I think it's over 200 countries and territories around the world to invest in stocks, options, futures, mutual funds and bonds globally. Minimize your cost to maximize your returns. Rate subject to change. Learn more at ibkr.com slash compare. So now we're going we're gonna to do a deep dive. We're going to get into a topic that uh, has really gotten a lot of attention. And, and over the years, no question about that, but really... Last year, and now we're starting to hear it about again. Once again, we're starting to get this discussion going because people are like, oh my God, here we go again. This debate, this 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 argument, this ridiculous infighting about whether or not we can do a, bu a budget and, and keep the government going. You know, we know every time this happens is a, a big concern, but I thought we'd get into some of the industries that can benefit during these kinds of circumstances um, and talk about the, the shutdowns and their, their relationship with the stock market. And, you know, you, you talk about Wall Street's wild wild roller coaster ride, right? And the, and, and the quiet shifts behind the scenes. I'm going to look at the, the, the saga, the drama that goes into all these shutdowns and, and really what the market outcomes are with regard to how it looks. So we're going to break this down into a variety of different components and talk about, uh, you know, what a shutdown is to begin with and then go into several of the things that, that happen, the impact on the markets as well. Because I've been thinking about this and this is something that comes up and a lot of people ask questions about and then all of a sudden we forget about it for a long time. And then again, with this absurd and, and, and I would say dysfunctional government that we have today where, you know, no longer are there really civil servants, they're really political stooges. But I don't really want to focus on the 
political side of it, other than the fact that I think we all agree that we hate this, right? We, we just dislike this whole ridiculousness because in the end we know that there's all sorts of back dealing that's going on and there's all sorts of, of, of earmarks and, 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 and pork that goes into this whole process. And the only reason this is all happening is because everybody's trying to claw some money for their own constituents and jurisdictions and areas, right? But let's talk about what this is and let's set the stage by understanding what a government shutdown is and, and how it comes to be. Because government shutdowns really occur when Congress fails to pass necessary funding legislation for all parts of federal agencies and departments. And, and the result is that essential government services are halted and and we see furloughs of employees, federal employees, of course. And we have this cloud of uncertainty looming over the financial markets. Essentially, what they're playing is a high-stakes poker game. And, uh, you know, what they're doing is is doing it for all sorts of reasons but the right ones, in my opinion, most of the time. There are some people in Congress that, of course, are trying to cut the fat and they're trying to hold up the process in order to make sure that, you know, an excess of money isn't spent. But but what we're talking about really is that it, it's, it really weighs on investors and traders. And it's very complicated, right? I mean, we all agree with that. But it's pretty interesting what goes on. So what happens? And, and I think we could really focus in on the initial reaction that we see. We get a market, we get investors, we get people that, that, that are anxious. They have this fear and, and, and volatility kicks in. So here's the deal. When word gets out that a shutdown might happen, like we're thinking about it could happen once again on October 1st of this year, we're only talking about what, uh, 35 days or so from now? People freak out. Investors panic. I mean, imagine everyone <laughs> at a park rushing for the exit because there's all of a sudden a, 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 an unexpected sudden rainstorm that's happening. It's like that, but in the financial world, people worry about how the economy will be affected and that makes things like stock prices jump and bond prices move and commodities move all over the place. And when news of... Um, of a potential government shutdown breaks, which is, again, where we are now, I think, fear often takes center stage, right? That's what happens. Emotions get in the way. People freak out. All sorts of things happen. Everybody's like, oh, my God, sell me out. Or if nothing else, prices just start to reflect the valuation if, in fact, and the and not if, but what if comes to be, right? The big question, what if, what if, what if, what if? That's what people are asking. Because investors, they worry about the economic impact on their investments, right? Where we, we Things like, you know, delayed data releases, disruptions in industries that are reliant on government services. And what happens is they get a lot of anxiety. That's what happens, right? People let their emotions get the best of them. And often what happens is that that turns into increased market volatility. It's a very simple equation if you really think about it, right? Uncertainty yields volatility. Anxiety yields the same thing. Whereas we look at the VIX, for example, the fear index, if you will, and you see that at subdued levels, there's not a lot of concern. If volatility remains low. It's when it starts peaking is when volatility really starts to increase. And that anxiety often leads to 
things happening in the markets that are not so good. Now, historically, what we've seen in the past is sharp declines in stock prices ahead of these government shutdowns because investors are doing what? They're leaving the park, right? They're rushing to safe havens like bonds and gold, maybe even Bitcoin, although that's not playing out so well these days. Traders, not investors, traders thrive on that volatility. But again, different for investors. Investors can really be freaked out with some of this because now your short-term insight on what's going on is, is clouded. And you're thinking, well, what if, what if, what if, what if this lasts a long time? And man, my, I know I'm a long-term investor. I'm a buy and hold. I'm, 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 I, I believe in, in the long-term nature. And then all of a sudden that gets busted because of all this uncertainty that's going on. So that's a big issue. And what we have really going on behind the scenes is a political poker game. Because government shutdowns are often a result of political gridlock and, and differing ideolo ideologies, right? And what happens is that this uh, bluffing match that goes on, when both sides hold the cards close to their chest and they have this tug of war, it, 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 it causes all sorts of uncertainty. And stock markets don't like that, as we discussed a moment ago. And the, and. and you really have to look at this whole political uncertainty and market performance and how prolonged shutdowns can cause investor confidence to erode and lead to a broader economic slowdown. That's what they're risking, really. Short-term government shutdowns that are easily resolved because maybe there's just a timing issue or a few people aren't on board. Okay, one thing. You know, you do that at the wrong time and you have an elongated period that there's a government shutdown – you know, uh, it's all about confidence. We've talked about this, right? The market's all about confidence. It's not a confidence game. It's about confidence. In God we trust. In markets we trust. In the Fed we trust. When you look at what's going on with markets, you have to realize that it's just as confident as you are as the paper that it's written on. A dollar bill, what is it worth? What is it backed by? Well, nothing but the confidence that the U.S. government will tender that at any given time for the value that is written on that on that currency. So when we talk about the political poker game, we got to really, for a moment, do what they did in The Wizard of Oz and pull back the curtain for a second and look at this tango that's being done with politics in the stock market. Because you're moving back and forth and you got the traders that are moving in and out. Every little headline that happens in Washington is being reflected in the stock market. And it can impact your investment decisions. It really shouldn't. Now, I'm not suggesting that your investment decisions shouldn't be changed if some bonehead moves are made in terms of taxes or maybe some other kind of cost factor on the economy. The general nature of it beforehand when we don't know the impact should not, though. So let's kind of go and try to unpack some of this, this, uh, this dilemma that there is out there and the relationship between what the politicians are doing and how it impacts the, the stock market. So I guess the best way to describe what's going on in, in terms of the political world is you got politicians on one side of the room and investors are on the other. Think about that, right? When there's a government shutdown that is – Somewhere out there in the future, 
these this this idea of a government shutdown starts to freak out investors, right? The market doesn't like uncertainties. The politicians, when they can't agree on how to run the show, it sends essential shockwaves through Wall Street, causing stocks to to shake and dance and move and boots to boogie, things to get crazy. And you got the fear, the the fear of of of, of what if. You got the nervousness of oh my gosh, are they going to screw this up? That creates volatility. So imagine you're standing on a tightrope, a tightrope. I don't know. You know, hundred feet above, above, suspended on this tightrope, above, above the, uh, uh, above the ground, and the ground is shaking beneath you. You got this fear that kicks in. People start selling their stocks like crazy. That's volatility. Prices swing up and down, and like yo yo, you got this crazy volatility that's going on, and you're just sitting there on a, on your tightrope, wondering when this thing is going to stop, and am I going to eventually get to a point that's going to make me fall off. Or can I hang in there? Can you hold on during this mini earthquake that's going on of the stock market because these bonehead politicians can't get it going? And again, it's all about confidence. Confidence. This is the ingredient that keeps the market ticking. I've talked about this before. I talked about this uh, a month ago, a year ago. I've talked about this a hundred times. And when politicians are banging their heads together and the government itself is in limbo, where payments to social security recipients and, and government entities are closed and services are suspended. Mm, confidence can get hit squarely in the teeth. And hey, sometimes when folks don't uh, feel secure about where things are heading, right, they tend to tighten their purse strings. That in itself, again, could be a major complication to an economic recovery. Yeah, we're still in an economic recovery from where we were in COVID to a degree, right? Or maybe even a market recovery to where we were last year. And it's fragile because we're starting to see that consumers are already pulling back. We've seen it in housing. We've seen it in the housing confidence numbers. We've seen it in, for example, sales at retail. Yes, some are doing well, but did you see, you know, like Dick's last week or Macy's, I mean, those were pretty ugly what, what went on. You know, we're not just talking about the the, the retail sector um, on its own, but if you look at some of the various components, and especially in the, in the areas, I mean, some of the auto parts companies, I mean, just awful, awful numbers. The fact that Tesla has to reduce down their prices. What happens is if we have a prolonged period of a lack of confidence, a slowdown in economic activity could ensue. And what happens is, particularly during a shutdown, it's like a piece of the economy's engine is put on hold. The government workers aren't getting paid. Businesses are feeling the pinch. Consumer spending might not be where it was. It's going to drop a bit. And that could lead to a general slowdown in economic activity, which, by the way, what you guess could put downward pressure on stocks as well. That's where all this concern comes in of the what if, and oh my gosh, is this going to actually ha happen? Are, are we going to have a situation where we're going to have a prolonged, because we don't know. We don't know as they're going through this, 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 this waltz that we talked about, if they're going to actually get this done or not. We have no idea if, in fact, they're going to be able to figure out a way to make it so that it's a good decision, money well spent, 
and bring confidence up on what they're doing. Now, beyond the shutdown bubble, we'll call it, you know, you think about when, when you, you know, you have a ripple effect, right? You know, this, this idea when you throw a rock in, in, a, in a pond and all of a sudden you get this, this kerplunk and you get the ripples and it spreads out. Well, same thing happens with the government shutdown, right? You get this ripple effect that can impact everything from confidence with the consumer, which we've talked about, right, to business investment, to capital expenditures, CapEx, and even international markets. You know, you have all of a sudden a, a significant move with regard to a currency because of that. So one of the things we need to really be careful of is when we talk about this government shutdown is how is that going to further help or hurt, in this case hurt, our credit rating, our sovereign debt, debt rating that was downgraded. We saw that Moody's downgraded the banks last week. We saw that already Fitch is downgrading. We're seeing that uh, S&P. We're seeing all these names that are coming out with a concern about the fiscal responsibility and the government responsibility as a, as a linchpin of our credit rating and showing how these government shutdowns and what is going on with the lack of budget is really causing a big problem. And not to mention that we already have an unlimited debt ceiling. You know, the debt ceiling was removed till, till November 2024. So essentially they could spend whatever they want over the next couple of years or a year and a half. But here's the thing. Just like the waltz, right? You know, you look at what's going on. The politics and markets, they have rhythms, they have cycles. Shutdowns are disruptive, but they have an end as well. And when that cloud is lifted from a government shutdown, things pretty much go back to normal. The other thing that you have to remember, especially for anyone listening that really starts thinking about that everything that goes on is somehow related to some political something or other, or blaming some side of the political um, sphere. You know what I'm talking about. But the thing is that the stock market itself is not only driven and, and, and solely driven by politics. A lot of other things like fundamentals in the economy Company earnings, interest rates, consumer spending. Let's say we think of a hundred different things, right? Confidence. They all play an enormous part in what the stock market does. So when you think about how we have a, a, a circumstance of a government shutdown and all this uncertainty that goes along with it, yes, it's a problem. But you know what? We've recovered so many times from it in the past. Now, let's dig into the winners and losers. So let's get into this fascinating world of winners and, and losers during a government shutdown, just like in any competition, right? You have some industries come out of it on top, others face challenges. So when we think about uncovering who's going to be really in great shape and who's going to be bad, all right? So there, there's the unshakables, right? Those companies that are you know, tend to weather any shutdown, any storm. They're resilient in things like utilities and healthcare, consumer staples. And these are sectors that are, are, are essentially known for providing essential services and products that people need. Forget about government for a second. And no matter what the backdrop is, you're still, listen, you're still going to take a shower and wash your hair, 
right? You're going to use shampoo and soap. You're going to use toothpaste. You're going to still go out and, and say, oh, it's hot in here, darling. Let's turn the air conditioning on or plug in something to get charged or go use your car. All these things are important components of the, the market. So you got the utilities, maybe even energy for that matter. And that's not going to be affected by any of that, right? And I, I, the markets can be going a little bit crazy. If you are one of those that likes to trade in or trade out of positions, you know what? Uh, for a short period of time, utilities, healthcare, consumer staples, maybe energy, something of interest, right? Then you got uh, probably uh, the the other side of it, which is pretty stable. You know, the, the defense. You want to play defense. You got pharmaceuticals. Again, utilities. They're like um, uh, the 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 other side, right? You can see some relief after all. I mean, people still need all the things that we talk about, and that's defenses. So, in a way, you have the unshakables, the defensive players. And then you have those that may be unexpected, right? The, 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 those, those, those long shots were out there. And while some sectors could have a tough time, there are those industries that actually find opportunities in chaos. And that's, what, that's really what a government shutdown is, right? It's chaotic times. Oftentimes you have like tech companies that are going to fall into that category, right? People are going to still need all the tech, especially with the AI that's going on. They may not need um, government contracts as much, but... Sometimes they may even see an increase in demand for their product and services. People turn to digital solutions during in uncertain times, right? So you have this really crazy environment that tech could actually do well. We know that it's done well so far. And if a government shutdown comes, if, a gov if, if those companies are not necessarily involved in government contracts during that period, but you know, again, let's also just, let's let, let, let's let's talk about the dirty little secret, right? Government shutdown doesn't cancel any contracts; it just puts them on hold. It puts them on hold for a period of time, and when you have that hold that goes on, it's just going to be delayed. So you know what? It's delayed for a couple of months, and then you know what? They're buying again. Then you have the others, right? You have the strugglers, the people, companies that are always find themselves in a bit of a bind. These are the ones that are probably heavily dependent on government spending, like defense contractors or maybe even transportation companies or maybe even some construction companies that are doing government or civil work, right? They, they rely on federal funding of their projects. And when that funding tap gets turned off, these stocks can take a hit. But remember, there's another side, right? Remember, when, it, when, the, when the deal gets done, those can be really great opportunities, and last but not least, we have those sectors kind of like, I don't know, just the, the the pawns in the chess game, right? They're not stars of the show, but they can still be affected. These include things like real estate, certain retail construction, maybe tourism, maybe um, things like uh, restaurants. Um, so when government employees aren't getting paid and services shut down, it can pretty much ripple through that their their sectors as well, right? People aren't traveling as much. They're going to hold back. Again, they're going to hold their, their purse strings a little bit tighter than they were. So one of the things that you have to understand is during all these times, there are winners and losers, right? The fact of the matter is that the stock market, it's dynamic. What happened the last government shutdown may not be what happens with this government shutdown because of a, a whole multitude of factors, but realize that in the end, things will get resolved over time. And 
as an investor, you have to understand these dynamics can be like, you know, something to a bit of a, of, of a map to understand a, a level of um, understanding that gets you more confident, that allows you to stay the course, whatever that may be of your particular plan. And it's all about also having the opportunity and ability to pivot, to stay afloat and to stay uh, within your, your range of expected returns during periods of, of uncertainty. So th I think that's really important. Now, you can ask me, okay, Andrew, Andrew, so what do you think? Are we going to have a government shutdown here? Are we going to go up to the wire on September 30th, October 1st, just be like, boop, it's going to be closed for a while and go through that whole nonsense once again? I don't know. It, it seems like there, unfortunately, are radical parts of our political environment that are going to just cause problems to cause problems. That's what they do. And when we look at what's going on with regard to the ability for many of these um, sides to come together and try to agree on something, they just are in a stalemate. They don't want to agree. They just want to fight. That's what they are. And uh, it's like putting two of those, uh, what do they call the, uh, uh, two male fighting fish in the same tank together. Not good. There's no good outcome of that. So when it comes to the government shutdown, do I think it's going to happen? I think there's a probability they'll take it to the wire at least. There's a couple of hundred million dollars that they're battling over in a multi-billion upwards of uh, hundreds of billion dollar deal. That's going to be the stalemate of this whole thing. Uh, you know, again, they're going to want to get money for their constituents so they can look good for their voters. They can get voted back in, which is the game in itself. Realize that dance, that game, how it affects markets doesn't necessarily mean it's going to always be that way. Look for the opportunities. That's what my bottom line conclusion, my, my advice to you is look for the opportunities. It's about making informed choices, good decisions. Pay attention to the industries we talked about today. Consider how they may fit into your investment strategy, not only for the next month, but how long-term that's maybe beneficial as well. Well, that's all you have. That's all it is. The world of winners and losers during a government shutdown isn't, uh, isn't as black and white as it seems, right? I want to thank you for joining me this week. I want to thank you for joining me every week on the Disciplined Investor Podcast. We are available to talk. If you want to find out more information about what we do here at Horowitz & Company, go over to thedisciplinedinvestor.com. All the information about our strategies, et cetera, how to get in touch with us, how to contact us is there. Thank you so much for joining me this week and every week. I'll see you again real soon. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. 
Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.